0: Sunday, June 21st, the first day of summer, or alternately, the last day of spring. As Canadian track fans, we have a lot to reflect on, as this spring saw Canadians go faster, farther, and higher than ever before. It almost makes you wonder, what will this summer bring? Well, we'll find that out in the coming months, but on this week's show, we chat with a few athletes who made the spring such a success. We speak with Calgary's Jessica O'Connell, who will be joining us to talk about her shiny new PBs in the 3,000 and the 5,000. Sasha Golish will talk crowdfunding and the Pan Am Games. And later, run pundit Jeff Coston will wrap up the springtime on the track and in the streets with a look at the bigger picture. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Twitter, available via Stitcher, TuneIn, and iTunes, as well on Tracky.ca. As has been noted by many sources, it's been a great spring on the track for Canadian athletes of all ages and distances, and my current guest is certainly no exception to that. Jessica O'Connell ran a blazing 15.06.44 at Palo Alto earlier this year in the 5,000 and also ran a 3,000 PB just a few weeks ago in 8.51.37 both putting her first in the country in those distances and qualifying her in this summer's Pan Ams and World Championships. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks. So far, you uh, seem to be having a standout year on the track with a spring marked with PBs. Uh, What's been the biggest factor in the success of your season so far?
1: Um, I'd say just building off of last year, um, I've had a good solid year of training, no interruptions, no injuries, just um, building on all the gains that I, I made last year. So everything's just been a step further ahead than this time last year. <laughs> so just, just progressing.
0: <laughs> you ran in the, uh, the Oslo Diamond League meet. Uh, you tweeted afterwards, it wasn't everything that you had dreamed of, but you learned lots. Uh, talk to me a bit about that race.
1: Um, well, first of all, I was so excited to even be in the race because it was my first Diamond League race ever. So just being in the field was really exciting. And having already um, run under world standard this year, I'm in a lucky position that I can take more risks in races so I don't have to play it safe and try and sneak just under standard. I can pretty much any race now is just run to gain experience and go faster than I already have. So... I went to the race hoping that I would be right at or hopefully in a perfect race under 15 minutes since that's kind of the next big thing now that I've broken, or now that I've run 1506. Um, My my workouts have been going better than ever. Um, I knew I was in good shape, and I got a little bit excited in the race and went out pretty hard. My first Mm -hmm. kilometer was 255, so a little frisky, Um, and I went backwards after that. I was 9 flat at 3K, so still on pace, but I was only slowing down, and my last 2K were pretty slow. I ran 15, 19, so learned the value of pacing. (laughs) Um, So I was able to come back three days later in Morocco with my 3K, and so I paced that quite a bit better than my 5K, and it felt much better, and I did PV there, so I was happy to come off of that race and be able to put together another race pretty quickly that was good and practice doing what i didn't do in oslo which is going out at a reasonable pace and picking people off and so it was nice to get those two races back to back um and build one off of the other
0: over the past couple of years you uh, seem to have stuck to distances ranging from 1500 to 5000 uh if you had to pick though which one would you find uh, the most enjoyable
1: um my favorite races are the 1500 and the 3k Um, I seem to be best at the five, so that's what I run the most because I don't have the leg speed to really succeed on an international level in the 15, but I think it's so fun. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Uh, You know, you you train with uh, Mike Van Tiggum, and uh, judging by your great progression over the past couple of years, you seem to match up with him really, really well. What kind of coaching philosophy does he take?
1: Um, Yeah, Mike and I have been working together since I was in high school, uh, I went away from university, but we reunited when I came back. So we've been together for a long time, and we do get along very, very well. Um, Mike, I think, cares more about your well-being than your athletic performance. I think. I know he does. And so his philosophy basically is to create happy, healthy people, and they in turn will become happy, healthy runners. And I think that that's really worked well for me, and he has quite a strong high school group that he coaches as well, and they're quite competitive on the, I guess, junior national scene, so his philosophy is working across age groups.
0: Now, what does a week of uh, training look like for you at this time of year?
1: Um, I do three workouts a week, so two interval sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then a tempo run on Sundays if I'm not racing. And I'm still running doubles. Um, My mileage is still pretty high right now, so I'm running about 75 to 80 miles a week with my workouts. And I take every other Saturday off.
0: I was just talking to uh, Natasha Wodak last episode, and uh, she described what is currently going on as a resurgence in Canadians' women's distance running. Uh, You know, what does that mean to you, and how has it affected your running?
1: I think it's awesome. Awesome. I remember watching the 800-meter nationals a couple of years ago, and I think it was one in 206, and second place was, I don't know, 2 210 or something, like, just, just very weak, and I remember thinking, oh, man, like, <laughs> what's happening? And then in 2012, every 800-meter girl was breaking two minutes and just pushing each other and just really racing the bar. And I think that same phenomenon is starting to happen in the 1500 and the 5K and the 10K, just where one girl will run really fast, and then another will say, "Well, if she can do it, I can do it too," and also run fast. And then it's kind of a a nice cycle where all of a sudden you have all these people just, just rising with each other, and it's really exciting to be part of that because there's people to push me. Um. My competitors and my friends—we all we all want to. Be- run as fast as we can, but we're also, I think, all excited about how Canada is doing right now, and it's just a very, very positive atmosphere to be in.
0: (laughs) Now, kind of related to that, if you were to pick one Canadian runner who's influenced you a lot, who would it be?
1: Um, Can I pick two? (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Megan Metcalf and Melinda Elmore have both um, been training partners at different times in my life. Maybe not training partners, but Melinda was coached by Mike when I was in high school, and I ran with Megan when I was at West Virginia during my undergrad, and both of them were just such positive role models, like kind of big sister figures in that they had attained so much in the sport, yet were so humble and approachable, and it made me want to, <laughs> to be like them, basically. And so they they were just really great, positive influences on my life and my training.
0: You know, I was reading on your blog that after leaving school, you, you felt like you didn't have what it takes to be a full-time pro. Now, obviously, you're doing really well now. When and what was the turning point for you that made you believe that you could compete on that world stage?
1: Um, well, I left school after lots of injuries, and so I thought that I could keep going, and I thought I had a lot more that I could do in the sport, but I knew it wasn't really responsible to become a full-time athlete with like a 16 20 something 15 or sorry 5k pb because lots and lots of people are running faster than that um but the turning point probably came after i broke nine minutes in um last january because that was the first i mean nine minutes is a uh, nine minutes in the 3k that's a really nice barrier and a lot of the very best college athletes do that, and I thought, oh my goodness! Well, if I can do that too, then that means I'm, I'm as good as all these college girls who are now going pro. And that was that was a big, big step in the right direction for me.
0: <laughs> You're currently doing your master's degree in your hometown of Calgary. Uh, have you found it difficult to juggle between both being both a top tier athlete and a student?
1: At times, uh, my lifestyle is very busy. Like I'm always running from one thing to another. And I'm looking forward to having more time to to chill and just train. But my master's has been good in that I I love it. I love school and doing research. I study exercise physiology, and I find it very, very interesting. Um, And I don't think I'm one of those people who can just train and sleep and recover. I think I need something else in my life. And so the balance between the two has been great. I'm lucky that I have a really flexible supervisor. He's very supportive of my running. So I've managed to stretch out my program and take the time I need to train, but also have stuff to do during the day. And it's funded me financially as well. And so that's been a pretty good balance over the last couple of years.
0: Now with uh, such a great start to your year already, what are the big goals for the rest of the year?
1: Um, Well, I'm going to the Pan Am Games and I'm really excited for that. So... Uh, I'd love to win a medal in front of a home crowd. My parents are going, so that would be nice. And then um, hopefully qualify for Worlds next weekend at Nationals. And if that's the case, um, a big, big goal for me would be to make the final in the 5K.
0: Well, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, That was Jessica O'Connell, and uh, she has had an outstanding season so far, running a 15.06.44 in the 5K, as well as an 8.51.37 in the 3,000. Uh, Like I said, we wish you the best of luck and thanks a lot for being on the show this week.
1: Thanks so much.
0: (laughs) You're listening to The Terminal Mile, heard via Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Tracky.ca. Now, it's no secret even just a few months can change everything. Take, for example, the case of Sasha Gaulish. As of this time last year, few knew anything about her, but after a dominant CIS indoor season, she's pretty much been on everyone's radar. This spring, Sasha has been on the road chasing a fast 1,500-meter time, qualifying for Pan Ams along the way. But that can really take a toll on one's bank account, which is why Sasha has started a crowdfunding page, trackyprofile.com sasha gollish hoping to find some support so that she can continue to chase her dream. Thanks for joining us today, Sasha.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: First things first, last weekend uh, you were down in London, Ontario at 1500 meter night and laid down a killer 407.08. The race ended up, in my opinion, being probably the race of the night as well as providing the current top three times in Canada in the distance. Uh, Talk to me a bit about that race. How did it go and how did you feel afterwards about it?
2: Uh, So that race actually was a really last-minute decision. Uh, The plan after Portland was to come home, kind of chill out, train into nationals. Um, But uh, when we found out Nicole was racing and that the windows for World Championships was closing, uh, well, the qualifying window, sorry, uh, my coach and I thought, hey, why not go for it? Um, So unfortunately, I went in a little more fatigued to that race than I may have wanted to be, but uh, that happens sometimes. Uh, Nicole and I had chatted before, and we kind of had the same game plan. Like, we really wanted to run sub 406.5, which is the world qualifying standard. Um, Melissa did a phenomenal job at rabbiting, like, best I have ever seen and been a part of. Um, And we kind of planned, like Ross said, Nicole likes to go with 400 meters. Um, Stay with her when she goes to kick at 400. Make sure you go. Um, And Nicole actually tried a different race tactic that night she finds that she kind of dies in that last 100 and waited a bit longer. And I just I kind of remember thinking, like, is she going? Is she not going? Is she going? Okay, sit in. Should I go? Should I not go? And sort of at 200, it was almost like it was a little bit too late. Um, and we were both kind of kicking. Um, my glutes have never hurt so much in my life. <laughs> um, when I crossed the line, like, I mean, I was kind of disappointed. You know, it was, it was did I make standard? And you hear the No you know, kind of that's that initial emotion of it all. But, you know, 24 hours later, I kind of looked back on it and I was like, hey, I ran 407 fatigue. It's kind of cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, as anyone who's been following along knows, you've secured a spot on the Pan Am team in the 1500 meter event. Uh, what will it mean to you to run in front of a hometown crowd representing your country?
2: Um, I've been asked this a couple times and I, I don't actually have words uh, to, to tell anyone what it means. Kind of every time I talk about it, I kind of get stuck between smiling a lot and almost on the verge of tears. It's just it, I'm so overwhelmed by the emotions and I'm so excited. Um, and it's also the first time I'm putting on a national team jersey, so I mean I feel a lot of pressure to compete in front of my friends and family. I keep trying to tell myself it's just another race and just you know race it like another race and try and get to the finish line first. Uh, but more importantly, I know that no matter what happens, that my friends and family will still love me.
0: As I mentioned, you're appealing to people to support you via a crowdfunding page. And, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that being an elite athlete uh, is a very costly endeavor. There's, you know, the obvious flights and hotel costs, but, you know, run run down for me all the other expenses that an athlete runs into when they're chasing fast times.
2: So I have to say, leaving my cushy, awesome, fun consulting job was not an easy one, um, I was finally in a place where I didn't actually have to worry about how much money I spent on food and how much money I spent on sport. um, But I have no regrets uh, stepping away from it. Um, And I have to say, Skechers has been great at providing me shoes and Cliff gives me bars and gels. But other than that, I have to pay for everything else. So transportation, meals, where I live, all that stuff. And it's funny, I was laughing with someone the other day, like, I'm really running low on socks and underwear, and they're so tiny, and they're so expensive, and it just, hmm. everything sort of adds up, but, you know, in terms of those bigger costs, um, you know, I wanted to do things right, so, you know, there's the obvious massage and physio, and, you know, I have limited benefits, um, and, like, you know, they're, they're out, so they've run out, and, you know, it, you know, a massage is $100 for an hour, so that adds up pretty quickly. Um, I wanted to have a really good strength and conditioning coach, so I hired Chris Shepard at the Runners Academy uh to build a program for me, and I meet with him every so often to check in and make sure i'm you know functional movements are good and am I progressing? what can we change um, and I'm working with a nutritionist, so it's you know once again it's those those consulting fees that you have to pay that that add up um other big costs I'm actually looking at getting an altitude tent so minimizing the cost of travel you know those flights and hotels you talk about but also giving me the opportunity to stay home and actually train um you know with my teammates who I love so much but you know that's it so it kind of all adds up together that running gear the travel the food and unfortunately the cost of living keeps going up every year
0: now as I'm sure you're aware it's difficult to get people to part with their money Uh, what sort of value can you promise them if they donate
2: I was kind of thinking this and I was like, some people kind of like that underdog story and some people like that, you know, I really did just give up everything. Um, but as you know, I have my blog where I really do keep it up to date to let people know what's going on in my life and training and racing. Um, but I can also s- offer some people, you know, tangible stuff for their donations, um, whether it's a coaching or through engineering or making them delicious baked goods um, And I won't pretend that I'm the first or the last person to do a crowdfunding campaign, uh, but I do think I come with a really unique story.
0: Oh, what kind of baking, just out of curiosity?
2: Uh, I make some really delicious brownies and some really good chocolate chip shortbread.
0: Chocolate chip shortbread. Sounds like a combination I've never tried before. Hmm. Well, there's actually a very well done video attached to the page that I suggest that everyone check out. Uh, in it, you state that A, you want to make it to the Olympics and B, break the Canadian marathon record. Uh, first A, that's a very ambitious goal, as I'm sure you're very aware. Uh, in the 1500, the standard is 106 flat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is still a bit faster than your PB. Uh, you know, what is your schedule for hitting that target? And what are your immediate time goals?
2: Uh, so I hope you mean 406 flat, because 106 flat would be really fast. That
0: would be very, very quick, yes. <laughs> yes, I mean 406.
2: Um, and I'm glad you liked that video. Um, but yes, so 406 is an ambitious goal, but you know, if you look back to April 2014, I was running 428, and I've just run 407 feeling really fatigued. So I really believe that running sub 406, and actually even faster than that, really is attainable. So I'm really fortunate. I have these two awesome coaches at U of T that work together, Ross and Terry, and I trust them completely with my training, and they're shaping the way as to how we're going to reach this goal. So the plan this fall is to do some altitude training, both you know sleeping in the tent and hopefully getting down uh, to a camp uh, with, with some training partners. Um, lots of base training in the fall, lots of cross-country training, uh, building up uh, through indoor and outdoor with more specific uh, training. Uh, but first and foremost, when this summer season is over, I am starting my training period with a massive block of rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like I'd love to run standard this summer, but, you know, given that the next few races will be tactical, you never know what the time's going to be. Um, and I know it's in me, and I know that even faster is in me, but, you know, I just don't want to push things and make those little mistakes that might end up in injury.
0: You also said that you uh, wanted to break the Canadian Marathon record. Uh, When do you plan on transitioning into that distance?
2: Uh, Well, I didn't actually think I'd have this much success at the speedy stuff, so I don't really know when I'm going to make that transition. Uh, My coaches and I have it in the back of our minds when we're looking at training and mileage, and so my mileage runs are slowly um, building up. Um, And we don't want to rush things because when you rush things, you tend to get injured, so... I'd say I'm probably still three to su- four summers out before I make a marathon with you.
0: You've had a pretty wild year so far. Uh, even the spring has seen you race all across the continent in Oregon, BC, California, and Ontario. Uh, you know what's What's been the standard race for you this spring?
2: Uh, all the races kind of have their special moments with people you meet along the way and things that happen. Um, I have to say Harry Jerome was pretty awesome because I took that top spot in the 1500 by 1-100. Um, but more importantly, I had two really good friends cheering in the stands who were just so ecstatic, um, to be there. Um, but definitely Portland's the standout. I mean, to, when I crossed that finish line and I knew that I had run second fastest time, um, and that there was a pretty good chance I was going to go to Pan Am's, it was a huge rush of emotion.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people wondering, you do have that one year of CIS eligibility left. Uh, do you have plans on when you're going to use that?
2: Uh, no, I haven't really thought about it. We haven't really talked about it. I mean, I'm very much a person about, you know, sort of living in the moment and, and really appreciating what you're doing and loving what you're doing. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to race CIS next year or the year after. Um, When it works, it works. And you know, if I never use it, I never use it.
0: Now, one more time, where where can people go if they want to find your, your crowdfunding campaign or, uh, you know, any other social media accounts you want to throw out there?
2: Uh, so you can find the crowdfunding campaign at trackyprofile.com and on my blog, sashagolish.com. And on Twitter and Instagram, I am sgolishruns.
0: She is Sasha Golish. She will be running in Pan Ams uh, in, I guess, a matter of weeks at this point. And uh, we wish you a whole lot of luck. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thanks again. With the changing of the seasons just this past Sunday, it seems like a good time to reflect on the spring that was in Canadian athletics. With records falling all over the place and athletes laying down qualifying times for Pan Ams and World Championships, as well as Rio 2016, it only seems responsible to call in our in-house run pundit, Jeff Coston, to wrap things up. Hey, Jeff, how's it going?
3: I'm good. How's it going, Michael?
0: Uh, not too bad. Well, first things first, the Pan Am team was uh, released this past week. And uh, the team looks pretty fast. What are your thoughts on the team and uh, who will be the ones to watch come Pan Am time?
3: Well, first of all, it's it's a good size team. I think we talked about the Pan Am games a little bit last time with some uncertainty about who would be sent and how big of a team Athletics Canada would decide to send out. So as a fan of distance running, I'm glad that we have, I think, two athletes for every event except for the Women's Marathon at this point. Um, some of these athletes have never competed at an event of this profile, and I think a lot of them recognize the potential for big exposure here because, you know, positive or negative stories, you can't really, within the GTA, escape the aura of Can Am right now, and that'll certainly be the case in July, I think. As for specific highlights, um, we know Cam Levens has said that he'll be chasing the gold medal and as a fan of distance running I think that's something we should definitely have our eye on and will be something I'll be looking out for.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now uh, with the spring came a whole bunch of fast marathons uh, including Rotterdam where both uh, Reed Coolset and uh, Krista DeShane put down some very strong qualifying times uh, both of them coming off with uh, coming off of fairly significant injuries uh, were you surprised to see such brilliant comebacks from them?
3: I, I don't know if I had the foresight to tell you what they were going to do in advance, but I think all sports fans like to see that type of thing where people get themselves into a bit of a bind and are able to get out of it. Especially with Krista, uh, where like people actually watched her finish that um, finish in Montreal with a broken femur. That's pretty gruesome, and I think. A lot of people are rooting for her to come back, but you never know how somebody's going to bounce back from an injury like that. So, it, it's pretty cool to see both reading Krista running fast at Rotterdam. Krista on her uh, on her blog has a pretty cool timeline posted of the different stages in her return to running and kind of the incremental improvements she made along the way. So, I I hadn't seen it until you know I was hurt and had my kind of setbacks trying to get back and somebody flipped it over to me and it's definitely something I think most runners or most, most sports fans in general can relate to and get excited about.
0: You know, with uh, those two likely going to Rio at this point, that leaves two men's spots and two women's spots open, uh, which are basically going to be a, a free-for-all come the 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 fall marathon season. You know, who do you think will be the ones to look for to to set those qualifying times and do you think this could be the year that uh, the Drayton record goes down?
3: We'll see about the Drayton record. I um, Obviously, it's been there for a while for a reason, so it's a tough standard. And I think the Olympic standards themselves for athletes to hit both on the men's and women's sides are pretty tough. On the women's side, I think we'll definitely see uh, Lani Marchant go as long as she's healthy. She is the Canadian record, and... Ran great over 10k this past spring. We also had, um, had Rachel Hanna running the, mar- we have her running the marathon at the upcoming Pan Am Games, and I think she's probably another one to watch. On the men's side, it's pretty deep. Um, Eric Gillis had a great 2014 running well under the current standard, and he's done well in his 10ks this spring, so I'm sure he has every reason to believe he'll make the team and then Rob Watson and Kip Kenogo are running Ams this summer. Dylan Wekes was the top Canadian at the 2012 Olympics, and I think for him the key is getting to the line healthy enough for a fast marathon before the deadline. So there are a number of people kind of approaching that range, and there's there's still a lot of time for the spots to be filled up.
0: You know, one storyline that was super exciting to watch uh, this spring was the men's 1500. Uh, first it saw Nate Brennan put down some pretty awesome times, uh, which we've come to expect from him. But this spring also saw Chuck PT, uh, have some real breakout races with those huge races now under his belt. Do you think he'll continue to knock down amazing times this summer at the rate he's been doing it? And, uh, you know, is it safe to say that he's the new 1500 guy like, you know, Sully and Brennan were before him?
3: I, I certainly wouldn't bet against him, and I don't think many people around the Canadian distance running scene would. I think, I think we have a lot of depth over 1,500 meters right now. That probably stems a little bit from the CIS system, where the distances don't get on the track further than 3K, so people tend to focus on that middle distance range. So obviously he's doing well with it, as is a guy like Proudfoot, and I think Brannon still has... The fastest 1500 meter this year. So there's a lot of depth up front, and any one of those guys could be the Canadian to beat. And it'll be interesting to see how things play out at nationals and along the way at the different international meets.
0: Another one that was uh, pretty interesting to watch was how the Canadian 5000 ended up stacking up. Uh, Matt Hughes, Canada's top steeple guy right now, pretty much killed it at uh, Peyton Jordan with a uh, 131956 to place him on top. For guys like Cam and uh, Mohamed. Uh, Do you think that maybe Matt Hughes could be one of our more underrated distance guys right now?
3: Yeah, definitely. Because that's approaching Canadian record territory. I think it probably opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that he's not just a steeplechaser, but he's a really fast runner altogether. I think a lot of people kind of do steeplechase because they can't quite cut it in another event and that's kind of a prevailing stereotype but obviously he's one of the guys that is showing that he's not only a world leader in the steeple but getting pretty close on the flat as well so a lot of guys both in steeple and 5k's and 15's are going to have to watch out for him this upcoming season.
0: Just as exciting to watch as its men's counterpart in my opinion was the women's 1500 meter this spring. Checking the rankings right now, there are five women under 410, including Nicole Cifuentes, Sasha Gaulish, Gabriella Stafford, Sheila Reed, Kate Van Buskirk, and just over 410, Hillary Stellingworth. How fluid do you think those positions will be as we head into the big summer meets? And who will end up with the number one spot at the end of the season? It's
3: a good question. It's kind of interesting because you have a lot of, or you have a couple athletes that are kind of new to running at that level with Stafford and Gaulish, and then you have, you know, athletes with international experience like Van Buskirk and Stellingworth and Sheila Reed who are they're all not too far apart so it's good to see that kind of depth and it's also good to see that they're running fast in Canada I think the three fastest female 1500 times this year came from from London 1500 meter night just this past week so there's lots of room for any of them to kind of run away with that top spot and it's good for the fans to see a lot of friendly competition
0: well it's good that you mentioned uh, 1500 meter night uh, it seems that this year uh, has seen a variety of Canadian meets producing those fast times but yet most meets uh, I went to didn't have a whole lot of people on the stands it's certainly not as many as I would have liked how do you think that track in Canada can attract more people to these meets, especially with you know amazing times being put down
3: yeah, it, it's a tough question. I think if it was easy, somebody would have already done it. And it, it's interesting because running has, running has such a widespread appeal for people to participate in recreationally, but within Canada seems a lot more limited when it comes to attracting mainstream attention. So I think part of the solution is giving our lead athletes platforms to tell their stories like, like any other sport, it's more exciting when people feel like they're attached to the personalities involved and they get involved in the storylines and it, I, I like this shows a great example and just letting people get to know our athletes and also is investing in them so that they have the resources to be as competitive as possible so when people are watching canadian athletes they they know that they're watching people that can go to the worlds and the olympics and the various diamond league meets and be competitive, and I think that's something that will help grab people's attention, and hopefully when you have, when, you, when, when athletes achieve that type of success, hopefully you have more people feeling attached to them and showing up to the local meets and getting involved in the grassroots level, and you'd like to think that that type of investment would have a trickle-down effect.
0: You know it was really cool to see uh women's distance flourish this spring with wins going back and forth between uh Lanny Marchant and Natasha Wodak on both the roads and the tracks uh Natasha took down the old Canadian ten thousand record earlier this spring to uh thirty one forty one fifty nine but these two performing at their very best and feeding off of each other, you know how low do you think that they'll take things in the in the ten thousand
3: It's definitely a good question, and I think Lonnie has the other uh marathon business and that might kind of take up her attention at some point but it's been cool on the spring seeing them go back and forth a little bit like Natasha got the Canadian record and then I, I don't know if it was a week or two later Lonnie went to Ottawa and beat Natasha and set the course record at Ottawa race weekend so it's good that they've kind of elevated women's distance running at this point over 10k and I think as long as those two are competing still we'll it won't be, we won't be waiting too long to see another drop in times
0: speaking of that rivalry between them uh and you know maybe taking a look at uh, Canada's top four men marathoners right now and a few other ones, who has the best Canadian athletics rivalry going on right now
3: <laughs> I, I I think you could point to any event group and find something pretty good if if you're going by personality, you might say oldster versus p q on tracky, and I'd be a proponent of that one but on the track i think um one one that you didn't mention is the men's 800 where brandon and mcbride brandon mcbride and anthony romano have both been going back and forth quite a bit and they're both young guys early 20s uh and between worlds and Ams and nationals hopefully we'll see them really push each other and run well for canada
0: Finally, finally this spring, uh, also saw a bunch of great performances in the NCAA. Uh, Based on those results, who who do you think the ones to watch will be in the coming years?
3: I I think the most obvious Canadian athlete who's going to be making noise in the NCAA the next few years is Justin Knight, who's a freshman at Syracuse this year, and he's already run... 1334 and 338. So that's approaching senior national standards as, you know, as a teenager. And uh, he's only been running for a few years. And it seems like they have a great program at Syracuse. The guys improve year to year. And they'll definitely be competitive as a team on the national cross country scene. And I think he'll have, he'll be pretty front and center in that. So for a lot of Canadian fans, it'll be interesting to follow.
0: He's Jeff Coston and he is our in-house run pundit. Uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Terminal Mile. Thanks to my guests, Jessica O'Connell, Sasha Gollish, and Jeff Coston. Thanks to Tracky for their ongoing support, and thanks to you for listening. Remember, you can find us via iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and tracky.ca, as well on Twitter, at The Terminal Mile. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.